Thank you so much for being here. This place in Scripture is one of the most practical places that I've found in my life and how to deal with, uh, with trials, with difficulties that come into my life. And I, I, uh, I believe Paul, in his kindness, wants to pass this along to us but because what he wants us to do is to move from where we understand that we are justified. We, have, we are now given so much. We are justified by faith, just as if we've never sinned. But he wants us to move. And, and from this chapter forward, he's going to place us into this time where we are, he wants us to become, another big word in Scripture is sanctified. He wants us to set ourselves apart and become the men and women of God that He's called us to become. Now, if you remember, please turn with me in your Bibles to, uh, to Romans, the 6th chapter. But I want to look back at the 5th <clears throat> chapter. <clears throat> please forgive me. Just one verse. Verse 20 for a moment. <clears throat> what I want to see in verse 20 is what Paul wrote. It was an amazing statement. He had taught the very grace of God that that you are completely and totally forgiven the moment you come to Christ. And in chapter 5, verse 20, he said, The law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace, God's unmerited favor, abounded all the more within our lives. Now some immature believers gave reason to think, well, the more I sin, the more grace God will supply. Therefore, some ignorantly even taught that we might as well sin so as to enable God to pour out more of His amazing grace. Therefore, the thought process in Rome was, I have license to sin. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven of all the sins that I've done, all the sins I, I am doing, all the sins I might do in the future. I have a license to sin. And so the question and the answer immediately came from Paul. I want you to read with me some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture and a great practical lesson on how do we become a people who are sanctified. How do we become a people who are set apart? Because that is my desire for you and for me. That we, we continue to grow. That we become a people that impact our, our community, our, our society, our, our lives in which we live. Please read with me chapter 6. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, as Christ was raised from the dead through the victory of the Father, so we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly 
we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, and that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, Paul writes, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Listen to verses 12 and 13 closely, closely, and then we'll close with prayer in a moment. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Father, I think as Anthony mentioned a little while ago before we started to sing that last song, God never... His love never gives up on us, never fails. And as Anthony just shared briefly, that sometimes he gives up on himself, and it's a comforting thing to know that you never give up on us. And Father, what you want from us is what Paul is, is preaching here in this sixth chapter, that we would sanctify, we would set apart, our, set apart ourselves, that we would walk in this newness of life, knowing that our old selves have been crucified with you, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And so, Father, please teach us this very valuable, valuable lesson that I think all of us uh, truly need. Bless us this day. I pray that you would, Father, as the Psalms says in Psalms 119, verse, uh, that, that you might open up our our eyes, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And move me out of the, out of the way, Father, please. Um, I beg of you this. Let us hear from your heart to ours, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Paul asks a question in verse 1. What should we say then, he says? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might, might increase? Well, well he, the words continue in sin in the Greek is E-P-I-M-E-N-O. It, it, it carries the idea of a habitual pattern, an habitual pattern and habit of sinning. To which Paul answers one of the strongest words you'll find in all of Scripture. He says, may it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? The words may it never be is M-E-G-E-N-O-I-T-O. It carries the strongest phrase of repudiation in all of Bible. It's a, a sense of outrage. He is saying that 
to even have this kind of an idea should not even enter into your minds, into your hearts. Now, Paul was not speaking against the believer's occasional falling into sin. Every Christian does that from time to time because of the weakness and, and imperfection of our flesh. No, Paul was speaking of the intentional, willful sinning, the, the pattern within someone's life to sin. And then to say, well, I'll go ahead and do this. Because I've been forgiven, I'll, I'll, I'll ask God to forgive me later. No problem. Now it's true, none of us as believers is sinless. That is, we will never be sinless until we go to be with the Lord. But someone who has professed a faith in Jesus Christ ought not to persistently disregard the Lordship of Jesus Christ, His standard of righteousness within our lives, and carry an attitude of disobedience. That, that should not be a part of us as believers in Jesus Christ. A true believer, someone who has come to Christ, has this new life living within us. We are indwelled by God, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have really no excuse to habitually sin without a strong desire to repent. In other words, to turn away from. We're not to allow sin to build up within our hearts without dealing with it the moment we are convicted of it. Sin ought not to take reign within our lives. We ought to walk in this newness of life. Now, the question is, and Paul is confronting it, can someone live a habitual life of sin just as he had before salvation and still carry on his walk with Christ? Is that, is that a part of our lives as believers? To put it in theological terms, the question is, can someone who is justified truly exist apart from being sanctified? Can we? Well, Paul says in verse 2, emphatically, no. No, may that never be. He gives a sense of outrage in that statement. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? How? Now the subject of this chapter is the ability of God's children, whom He has now declared, from, verses, from chapter 1 through chapter 5, He has declared us righteous. Just as if we've never sinned. Justified. He wants us now to move to that place where we are sanctified. Set apart unto the Lord. And why? Well, Verses 2, 3, and 4. Watch. Look what he says. May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Don't you know this, he asks them in verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, you and I, we, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the Glory of the Father, so we too might walk in this newness of life. Therefore, Paul reasons in verse 6, to continue in sin will only lead us into slavery of sin and lose the many blessings that God has for us. We are now free, free to obey God. And that freedom is not a license to continue in sin, as some would 
Consider, as they asked here in chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, what did we see last week? Last week in chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and 14, we saw that there were three great problems in this world in which we live. Number one, there is a constant presence of sin in this world. This constant presence of sin brings about a penalty, a separation from God, if you would. And finally, there is a power that sin brings over all of us, and that is, it's like a virus. It contaminates all of society, which ultimately brings forth death and ultimately hell, lake of fire, second death, without a Savior. And so Christ comes upon the scene. Jesus comes upon the scene for all of us. And through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, by faith, if we trust in him, we receive, he tells us, Paul does, total forgiveness of all our sins. We are completely and forever forgiven. Completely and forever forgiven. So Paul answers the predicted question that comes if that lesson is taught well enough. Grace, God's unmerited favor that you have complete forgiveness and unconditional grace, does this security that you and I have in Christ allow us to continue to sin? And Paul shouts out, no, no, on the contrary. We who were once dead in our sins are now dead to these sins. Please listen to this. This eternal security that you and I have in Christ is not there to allow us to sin knowing that He will always forgive us. I was reminded of a a time, I I told you this story before. Um, We were having a Bible study with the Rams a a long time ago when the Rams were here in Los Angeles. And and just before the Bible study began, we were in this room where the Rams met where they would have a preseason training camp. And all the guys were there together. They all stayed in the same place. And, and one of the guys who normally came to uh, the Bible study came in and announced to all of us, will you please pray for me? I'm going out, going to this club, this girl I met. I think everything, you know, what guys might say about this. And I'm going to have some drinks and have me a good time. Pray that the Lord will forgive me. Yeah, yeah, he did. To which Jackie Slater, who was as big as uh, this room, stood up and said, grabbed him by the arm. He was a defensive back, this guy that said this. Grabbed him by the arm and said, you ain't going nowhere. He said, you're sitting by me for this Bible study. And every time he'd look at his watch and try to get away, Jackie would grab his arm. Now, this guy was a big guy, this defensive back, but he, he, he looked like he was just a midget alongside of... Uh, of Jackie, and he never left. And we, we talked about that day in, in our Bible study about what does it mean to really be forgiven? What does it mean to set our lives apart? It was one of the most dynamic Bible studies we've ever had with a group of guys because everyone became involved. Everybody had an opinion upon what does it mean to sin? And what does it mean to ask for the Lord to forgive us? Are we forgiven? Are all our sins forgiven What is it like? Eternal security 
is a wonderful thing. But it's not given to you and me to allow us to sin haphazardly and and just kind of shrug our shoulders and go to God. Now, He always forgives us. That's true. You see, this security that you and I have, Paul wants us to know, actually gives us the ability to keep from sinning. Look what Paul teaches. Look at just the words in verse 7. For he who has died is, watch, what? Freed from sin. Look at verse 18. We didn't read verse 18, but look. Having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Look at verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, the outcome, eternal life. Now, all of that is either true or it isn't. You and I have been, because of this grace of God that has been poured out upon our lives, we have been freed from sin. Sin no longer holds a grip on you. Unless, unless you want to give it control. It's your choice. You see, because God's power, through Jesus Christ, you and I now can begin to make ourselves mature, grow in our faith. We are introduced to this word that Paul is going to use from now on, from chapter 6 on in the book of Romans, this whole idea of being sanctified or setting ourselves apart for the cause of Jesus Christ. Justification, just as if we've never sinned, is what Paul taught in the previous chapters. Now he wants to teach you and me about growth, maturity, becoming the men and women, the young people who are here, of, of Christ that God has called you to become, to sanctify your life, to set yourselves apart for the cause of Christ. Simply, let me tell you the difference between these two words. Justification is an act that is done by God to the believer the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are at that moment declared righteous, all guilt and sin removed. God says He wipes it away, removes it as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers it no more. Then, in that moment, God begins a work within you that will continue forever. Justification is an instantaneous act that takes place the moment you trust in Christ by faith. Sanctification, that's a lifelong process all of us must go through. Because the essence of this passage, justification moves the guilt and the penalty of sin within a believer. You're free. You are freed from sin. You are a slave no longer. You're to walk in this newness of life. Sanctification, our growth and our maturity, removes the power and the, and the growth of sin upon your and my walk. You see, justification and sanctification, they go hand in hand. They come through Christ. They are by faith. And so if it's true, and it is, then how do you and I change? How do we become that person of God that Paul is talking about here in chapter 6? 
How do we walk in this newness of life? It's, it's critical. It's critical. I think I have the answer for you, or that Paul does, excuse me, here in chapter 6. Look at verses 12 and 13. I asked you to look at them closely when we read them the first time. I think this is a, an answer to the question that for some of you might be burning within your very innermost being. Paul writes in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And he says in verse 13, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Let me stop there for a moment. He is saying, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't go presenting yourselves to unrighteousness. Set yourself apart. Maybe a very simple um, example. If you have trouble with alcohol, if you, uh, if you have a, a drinking problem, there is no reason for you to keep alcohol in your home for friends who might come by and visit, you know, just so that we can give them something to drink. Uh, let's be hospitable. Uh, let me bring it to my level. I I've never had a problem with that. When we go shopping and I go with Kay and we go by, by the freezer department, I say, hey, let's get some ice cream for the kids. <laughs> I'm lying through my teeth. I don't want that ice cream. Oh, I want it for the kids if there's any left when they get there. And Kay will look at me and says, what, are you kidding? You don't want that for the kids. You want that for yourself. I, if I truly have a problem with that, then I don't buy it and keep it in my home so that it is surrounding me. So that I have that temptation right before me, I take it out of my life. How? Look at verse 13. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But, here's the switch, here's the hook. Present yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Set yourself apart. Do the things that, that, that move you towards your walk with Christ and away from. You see, God is saying you have a choice to make in your life to grow and to mature or not. It's your choice. Salvation, God poured on you instantaneously. You have it. Sanctification, that's a daily walk that you and I must choose to make. We have a choice. Don't present ourselves to sin, but present ourselves to God. Now, what is God's formula to beat this old nature? Is there, is there ten laws? Is there, give me a couple of verses, John. Just give me a couple of verses that I can memorize and I'll be fine. I'll tell you what it is. It's as simple. This is... As if we've gone to seminary right now. It is wrapped up in one single word. You'll never have to worry about it again. It is the word flee. Run. Get out of there. Let me show you a perfect example. One of my favorite, favorite stories is Joseph 
in the book of Genesis, the 39th chapter. Would you please turn with me? Hold your place here. We'll come back. Genesis, very first book in the Bible, the 39th chapter. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were very jealous of him. He went off to Egypt and he was bought there by a man named Potiphar. He was the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh. Chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 1. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down to Egypt. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. You might want to note that. If you have a tendency to have your own Bible and underline it, that's a good little line to underline. The Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph became a successful man. Um, wait now, he's enslaved. He has been bought. He has been sold by his brothers. He has been rejected by his family in that respect. And he has been bought by a, 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 a captain of the guard, a bodyguard in Egypt. And yet... He was a successful man. You know, the Bible is very clear about success. It isn't as the world sees it. Let's go on. It's a great story. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Potiphar, the master, verse 3, saw that the Lord was with Joseph. That's very interesting. And how the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's life and became Potiphar's personal servant, still in verse 4. And Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house, and all that he owned he put in Joseph's charge. He gave him everything. It came about, verse 5, that from the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he owned, that the Lord God blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that, that he owned, either his house and in the field. This man is prospering because of Joseph. In all of our lives, there are Joseph's, people that help us to prosper. People that, uh, that make us more a person of God. Bob, you to me. People who, Michael, people who become like successful. He left everything that he owned in charge of Joseph. Verse 7, here comes the problem. It came about after these events. Oh, wait, let me read you verse 6 because it's really cool. He left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. Verse 6. And with Joseph, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. You might want to note that. Joseph was this young, good looking guy, he was handsome in form and in appearance. Now comes the problem. Verse 7, It came about after these events that Potiphar's wife 
looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. She wasn't saying, let's tell people some false stories. She said uh, she desired him physically, handsome, in form and in appearance. He was a young man. He was a young man. I would guess very, very strongly that Potiphar's wife was not some uh, unattractive woman. I would expect that she was a very, very lovely lady. And she kept, well, as we're going to see, kept asking him, lay with me. But, verse 8, I love it, he refused. He said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has put me in charge of everything that he owns. Verse 9, There is no one greater in this house than myself, Joseph said. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against Potiphar? Oh, wait a minute. That's not at all what Joseph said. How can I do this great evil and sin against my God? You see, up at the top, I told you you might want to mark in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And the reason the Lord was with Joseph is because Joseph walked with his God. Well, it came about in verse 10, she spoke to Joseph day after day. I mean, she was persistent. She wanted Joseph. But he did not listen to her to lie beside her or even to be with her. In other words, I take that to mean that he wouldn't be anywhere that she was. He would avoid her at all costs. It happened, though, in verse 11, one day, and Joseph went and do, do his work in the house that none of the men of the household was there. I take that to mean that Joseph didn't go into the house just haphazardly. He didn't do his work there haphazardly. He always made sure someone else was around. But one day, and she was waiting for this moment, I believe, he walked into that house and no one was there. She caught him in verse 12 by his garment. and She said, lie with me. You got to remember, Joseph was a young, good-looking man. The temptation in his life had to be monumental. He left his garment in her hand, and he did the only thing that could be done when you are around sin and temptation. He didn't stay there and said, let me tell you about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. He didn't try to leader to this place with Christ. No, he did the only thing that could be done at that moment in that time. He fled. He ran. He got out of there as fast as his legs could carry him. This story is so relevant to me because I remember Diane, you, you'll probably remember this more than, any, of course, more than anyone here. The Rams used to have uh, golf tournaments. And the guys would go and play in these golf tournaments. And they were like celebrities. Of course they were celebrities. And, and, and people would pay money to, to play golf with them. And afterwards they'd be in, the, in the, the locker room or whatever they call it where you go play golf, clubhouse. Michael, is it clubhouse? Locker room, something like that. And some of the guys on the Rams wanted to do something to one of my dearest friends on the team was a guy named, uh, I'll tell you his name, George Andrews. 
He came from Nebraska, and he practically lived with Kay and me. <clears throat> came from a small town, and <clears throat> his parents said to him, when you get to uh, big old L.A., find someone that you can trust. And he practically moved in to, with our home. As a matter of fact, he, our, our daughter Cassie was a newborn, and, and, and he was there so much that I, this is a true story, she learned to say George before she did Dada. <laughs> I was so mad at that. And we had been just studying this. We had just been studying about what do we do to temptation. George was a young, single man, good-looking. And um, we just studied about, about Joseph. And when he went to this golf tournament, he called me up. And he said, you won't believe what happened. And I said, no, I won't. What? He says, well, I said, how did the golf tournament go? And he says, interesting. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, he says, some of the guys, he says, I think, had this girl come up to me and, and uh, offer herself to me and... Uh, when all of, all of us went into the clubhouse and had do something to refreshments after after playing, and said she, she said she was really pretty, I said, "Oh, what'd you do?" Said I, uh, I Josephed. What do you mean you Josephed? He said I ran. He said I could hear the guys laughing as I was running out of the locker of that clubhouse. So I still had my golf shoes on. You could hear click, 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 click. <laughs> and I was running out of the place. And I said, you did right. You did right. If you were to turn back with me to uh, Romans, let me just tell you and maybe read to you, if you can find 1 Timothy 6, verses 10 and 11, real quickly f- turn there. And then also 2 Timothy 2.22. The Bible teaches this about the love of money. It says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say that money is. God bless any and all of you that have done well financially. Don't be ashamed of it. Do not be, uh, don't be ashamed of it. It is good that God has blessed you, just as he might have blessed Joseph in all that he did. But the love of money, it's the root of all sorts of evil. And some, it says in verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, by longing for it, longing for money, wealth, have wandered away from the faith. I've been in ministry long enough to have seen that happen. And they have pierced themselves with many grief. Verse 11, plain and simple. Flee, flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue, in other words, choose to chase after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.22 opens by saying, Flee from youthful lusts and pursue, there's that word again, choose to chase after righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, surround yourself with godly people. Listen, God's plan <clears throat> for you and me is really quite simple. It is to flee from temptation. It's to run from evil. It's to hide from sin and temptation behind the, <clears throat> behind the very Word of God. I would love for you to turn, to, if you wouldn't mind, to 2 Peter. It's just one verse, but it is so powerful. I would love for you to... Make note of it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you're in Romans, of course, 2 Peter is to the right. Um, 
It's, if you get to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, you'll go to the left from 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and, and then you'll hit uh, Peter, 2nd Peter. 2nd Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. This is a statement for you and me when we feel we cannot do what the Bible asks us to do to flee from temptation. When you feel like you lack the power, you, you cannot seem to overcome this evil that you wrestle with, this sin that kind of beats you down. First, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says these words, Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. You see, you and I have the power within us to do whatever it takes to grant us life and godliness. The question is, do you believe it? His divine power, that's dynamite, explosive power, has been, it says, given to us and has granted to you and me everything that is pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. God's power is available to you and to me pertaining to your life and to your living a godly life. How? Through the True knowledge of Him. And how do we know this true knowledge of Him? By studying His Word. That's why what we do here at this church is as faithful as we know how to be. As faithful as we know how to be to study the Word of God. This is what will enable you and me to flee when those temptations come. This is what enables you and me to be the person of God that, that God has called us to be through the true knowledge of His Word. We must study about God to know how to flee. Joseph just didn't run because he was he didn't want to be with her. He ran because he said, how can I do this and sin against my God? In Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us a great lesson. He says, the things that you have learned, the things that you have seen, the things that you, you've, you've uh, got from me. He says, practice these things. Let your mind, he says, dwell on these things. In Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7, the first verse in chapter 7, Paul tells us that ignorance is, is not an excuse. Ignorance, he says, basically is a, a hindrance to your life and my life of victory over sin. True knowledge removes ignorance. In verse 3, in verse 16, and verse, chapter 7, verse 1, three places in Scripture, Paul says, Do you not know? Three times. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? 
Paul is saying is that ignorance is no excuse. You should know these things are written here for your, for your value, for your information, for your walk, for your sanctification in Christ Jesus. That's why we study the Bible as we do. So that we would wipe away ignorance and, and understand what is the Bible saying to us who believe. Do you not know? Um, I just saved you hundreds of dollars in going to uh, bookstores and trying to figure out how to deal with sin. I didn't do it. The Lord did. Let me tell you what you do. Get to understand what the Bible says and when you get into temptation and it starts to grab you, run. Run. Flee. Don't hang around the fringes. Remove yourself from it. Gather yourself with friends who walk with Christ and will encourage you instead of drag you down. And then we get to this place that I long for, for you and for me. As we study through this, I believe when we get through with the book of Romans that we should be a people like few others. We should be a people who really understand God's word. We should be a people who are sanctified. We should be that people when, when, when visitors come here and they, and they accept Christ and they <clears throat> are new in their faith, we should be a group of people that just, just embrace them and help them to grow in their walk with Christ because we have sanctified ourselves and set ourselves apart for the cause of Christ. That's my, that's my dream for us. Until the Lord takes me home, that's what I'd like to try to do with your life and my life. Sanctify us. Oh, I'd love to, to preach the gospel so that if any of you come and visit and you don't know Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, we'd love, love, love to give you that opportunity to come to Him and walk with Him. And we'd love to help you walk with Him. But for those of us who know Him, I, I want us to grow desperately want us to grow that we would sanctify ourselves set ourselves apart for the cause of Jesus Christ I'm early that's good I guess I guess there's a football game on today <laughs> um, let me close with prayer and let me uh, thanks for your kind smile and, and just and you really encouraged me that's a kind thing you too, both of you guys. Um, let me close in prayer and let me thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, allowing me to be a part of what, uh, what you're doing here at this church. Father, thank you for your kindness. And thank you, Father, for, uh, for the, the very simple teaching of the Word of God that Paul has given us. It's nothing fancy, Father, with being sanctified it's it's as practical as as it is it's 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 running from temptation it's fleeing from those things that might drag us down i pray your blessings upon every single person here i, I love each person so much and i pray that you'll bless us as we go thank you for pam her faithful signing so that the, 
the young people that come here that that are impaired of, of hearing can can get the message of Christ and have entrusted themselves to us. Thank you for what she does. And now will you bless us, Father, as we go from here, wherever you might take us. Help us to be a people that walk with you, that are not just purely justified, declared righteous because of what you've done for us, but that we are also in the process of sanctifying ourselves, setting ourselves apart so that we might walk faithfully with you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. God bless you and have yourselves a really a wonderful day.